Hi, this is Ann Janzer, author of Get the Word Out, Write a Book That Makes a Difference. And you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Ann Janzer. Ann Janzer is the award-winning author, nonfiction writing coach, and unabashed writing coach committed to helping people make a positive impact with their writing. She supports and encourages writers and authors through her books, blog posts, webinars, and teaching. Her writing-related books explore the science and practice of effective writing. Before she started writing books, she was a freelance marketing consultant, working with more than 100 technology businesses to articulate positioning and messaging in crowded markets. Anne lives in San Luis Obispo, California, and is here to talk about her book, Get the Word Out, Write a Book That Makes a Difference. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me back. It's great to have you back. And in recognition of your past contributions on my quest for the best, what is a quote that guides your life or work these days? Okay, I'm going to share with you a quote from a woman named Denise Brousseau who wrote a book called Ready to Be a Thought Leader. She says, there's a whole bunch of people who have no one speaking to them or for them. That's what thought leaders are about. We speak on behalf of others. Who are you speaking on behalf of and what voice do they need to hear? I love this quote because it just embodies the sense of generosity and service to others that I try to bring to my own writing, to my own work, and that I try to encourage other people as well to tap into in their work. That is wonderful. I really like that quote because it puts us in the position of how are we serving others through our writing? Exactly. And that's a key theme, a key concept that I am working with and I share with other authors, which is this idea of servant authorship, which is instead of thinking about what am I getting from writing this thing, I think about who am I serving and how am I serving them. That just clarifies so many of the decisions that we have to make. It's fantastic. It's a very powerful approach and mindset. I agree. You really have coined the term service authorship. What is an aspect of service authorship mindset that you just mentioned a moment ago that many people don't realize when they first hear the term? What helps us go deeper into that perspective? I actually riffed on it first because there's this whole practice of servant leadership right, which is in the management world, which is that the, the leaders, they're not for their own glorification and more power, but to serve the people that they are leading and the communities that they are part of. I would much rather work for someone who embodied servant leadership, as would we all. I think we can take the parallel and apply it to our writing, and I'm talking nonfiction writing. There are so many reasons to write a book, to write a blog post. You might write a book because you've always dreamed of writing a book. You might write a book because you want a fat business card. You want more speaking engagement you want to be a best-selling author, that's a tough nut to crack that one. There's another reason, which is you're writing because you really have ideas that's important that you share with people, that you really want others to have. You want that benefit to land with them. It really helps us connect with the fact that writing isn't a solitary activity. We're always writing for someone else. Maybe primarily you're writing for yourself initially, just to understand what you think, but other, if you're publishing it on a blog post, in a book, in an article, in a magazine, you're doing it to serve others and think 
thinking about them really helps you hone in on what you want to share, doesn't it? It it helps with decisions, even from the basic, what do I put in this blog post? How do I structure it? How do I publish it? What tone and style do I adopt? What is this audience going to need to absorb the thing that I want them to get from it, to find the value that I want them to get in this? The other thing that's really lovely, it, it makes us as writers, instead of being solitary people off scribbling in an attic somewhere, we are part of a community with our readers. And it takes the focus off of us. It lets us focus on the work and others and not ourselves. And so get rid of some of that self-conscious oh, my writing is terrible. Oh, I can't believe I use that boring verb. It just takes that focus, that anxiety edge off of the writing a bit if you're just focused on serving your audience. Now, you've helped people with their writing. You've edited as well as written. And that it's so much easier to edit something that's on paper or in a document <laughs> rather than still in someone's head. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to make corrections to stuff in their head. That is really one of the key practices when I'm coaching authors. It's good to have the discussions first. Ideally, the way to work with someone is to have those discussions before they actually start writing to really focus in on who are they serving and why. There's a woman, Sarah, I've worked with on two books. The first book, she came to me when she had a draft. It was in the messy middle. She'd already been writing. It was really big. And if she continued, it was going to be like 200,000 words. Clearly, this was not going to be the thing. So we restructured and we helped her to get there. She was ready to write her second book. And we got on the call before she started writing this time. We had these conversations about, no, exactly who you're serving. What is it you're trying to do with this book? We took a few conversations and she kept circling and working with this. And then she had a vision for the book. And so the writing process for her went much more smoothly. But needless to say, the editing process was much smoother, too, because we didn't have to do this huge course correction in the middle, she was much more comfortable this time. I don't know if it's because her second book or because of this new reframing. She was much more comfortable in her own authority and her own voice. The first book, she was including so much research that she got lost. But because she was worried about herself and what people would think, we edited that out, but it took a lot of work. Second book, she just was much more comfortable who she was because she was talking to this audience the way she would. She still included a ton of research, but she was present as the author. One of the things that I got from your book is how much it makes a difference if you hone in on two things first, and that is who is in your pond, the phrase that you like to use, and what is it that you're writing that's going to help them, especially in a nonfiction book? Because a book is not your first and last work that you're going to put into the world, and we don't need to put everything we know into it. Instead, we're looking to put into a book that which will help the target audience better themselves, better their work, better their life situation through this method, information, story, strategy that we know. And then to deliver it, because it doesn't help anyone unless you put it out there and actually publish it, then work on feedback and, and what comes next. Those two things, having that really simplifies the writing process. And the way that you describe it, I think is really strong. I appreciate you for putting that into written form because it helped me crystallize the way that I think about writing and, and as well. Great. Yeah. You say the thing about Pond. I'm just going to share this with you because this is the hardest part for so many authors. They want to write for everyone. They don't want it to narrow it down. We all hear the advice, find a niche and you're like, no, but I'm not constrained by a niche. Two things. One, I think instead of thinking of excluding people, think about putting out a welcome mat for a very specific set of people. And that really helps people around this idea of exclusion. But I came with this metaphor of the ponds. It's not a niche. We all have different size ponds and ponds are connected with each other. If you get fill enough ponds, maybe your work will go to the Great Lakes or the ocean. I'm a Midwest girl, so I go to the Great Lakes first. I grew up in the Midwest. But you want to be the big fish in a small pond is, is much easier than to be a little minnow in the Atlantic. Do choose your audience that you're addressing with care. And it doesn't mean that you're shutting out everybody else, but it means if you totally 
fill and delight that audience, they are going to spread it to more and more ponds, to more and more readership. Understand your pond. The way you describe that also runs, we have a, a terrifically useful exercise that I learned from Steve Harrison, who runs the Quantum Leap program for authors. He said, in addition to think about your audience, think about what shelf in a bookstore, someone will find your book. I thought that was a really useful exercise to think about what are the characteristics of the people I want in my pond, the characteristics of the archetype I'm writing for. Do you have any other tips or questions that you use to help people think about what type of voice that they're using when they speak to the people in their target audience? One of the, the fun things to do, again, we're talking nonfiction work, is to actually give yourself engagements where you are speaking to those target people. I, I call it priming the pump for writing. It will be much easier to write on a topic if you've just gone and given a talk on it or done a webinar on it. As I was developing this book, I thought, well, I'm just going to do a webinar on the topics. I'm just going to talk about authority. I got a bunch of people on and they all contributed their ideas. It was this wonderful sort of almost workshopping of the book it helped me because I was interacting with people, right? It's so much easier than to speak to them or write for them directly. So find ways where you are blogging or speaking or doing a webinar webinar or even one-on-one -on -one conversations with people to get those words flowing and to hear the words that people use coming back and to hear how your ideas resonate with them. Then if you've done that, the bonus is you then sit down to write the chapter and it's going to come out pretty quickly and easily, or at least the rough draft of it, because you have primed the pump. You have gotten your thought processes going on it. You've gotten the words. They're all rattling around in your brain. Now, books don't always turn out the way that they started. I know that from my own experience, and I'd like you to share the story of Kathy Capino. Kathy was a, a licensed marriage and family therapist who set out to write a book to help women in different life crises. What happened or what was a surprising thing that she learned when she first shared her draft? She shared a draft, I think it was a, with a literary agent, right? So she had written this book and it was based on her own experiences that she had gone through and she poured her heart and soul into it. And this agent said, this isn't it. You need more research. If you're going to reach another audience, you need to be more than your personal experience. You need to add more research to it. She just went and turned around and did a hundred interviews or something. She did massive amounts of research that changed the texture and the nature of the book. She had to rewrite it. It was a brave thing to do. But it served her and it served her audience. She did a bunch of research. Now she starts in the research layers in her own experience. I think that's one of the things that nonfiction writers have to figure out. I worked with another author, Steve, who had written a memoir first, and then he'd written a business book. But all the stories he shared in the business book were his own because he'd just been in memoir writing mode. So I said, we need more voices besides yours. We need other stories. He says, well, I have them. So, okay, we had all this other research. He added it in and it changed. Then the reader could see themselves much more easily in the book because they saw all of these different voices and faces and roles. Again, it's the question of what's serving the reader. If you're writing a memoir to get out of yourself, that serves you and maybe that's what your goal is. But if you're writing to serve others, you often have to go further afield to make sure that the reader feels that they not only recognize your authority and the, the foundations of what you're saying, but they maybe even see themselves reflected in some of the stories and research. Just for your information, Kathy Caprino wrote two books and one of them is called Breakdown Breakthrough and the other one is called the most powerful you. The first one, Breakdown Breakthrough, is the one that she completely rejiggered and added all of this research to it. And Your Most Powerful You is the most recent book where she says, I start now with this huge foundation of research. Both really wonderful books. I have to tell you, Bill, I had such a blast myself doing the research for this book because I did these interviews with these amazing women, these amazing authors, and everyone was so generous to share their stories of what they did. And I talked to Kim Scott, who told funny stories about radical candor and the 
Dilbert cartoon lampooning it. It was fantastic. It was just really fun. And I hope some of that comes through. If you read it, you can tell just what a delightful group of people I interviewed. Authors are fun people. That's right. In spite any misconceptions to the contrary. <laughs> exactly. Maybe nonfiction authors are fun people. I don't know. But no, they all authors are. Let me also share with everyone listening. You've come up with a framework called the Sprint Method. I'm just going to go through the six different steps. It's start because I think that if you listen to the description of these, I want people to listen to these because they contain a lot of wisdom, especially in when they surprise you that they're part of this writing process. The first part and sprint is an acronym. Start with the easy part. Then P, prime the pump. R, relax your standards. I, incubate with intention. N, notice what's missing and edit. Trust your future self. Of those six steps, Anne, which was the one that surprised you the most that became part of this framework that you use to help authors write their books and get the word out? This is something I've been working on process. I'm, I'm like a writing process geek. But the one that really made the big difference to me early in my career is this incubate with intention. This sort of magical stuff that happens when you really start using the creative parts of your brain, when you learn how to actually, it's like magic. That was for me the biggest surprise early in my career. And that's the thing I share. Now, again, I was working and writing about technology and marketing. It was not writing that you perceive of as being creative. And yet all good writing is based in creativity and creativity makes everything better, more fun. When I really learned how to use this sort of, well, here's the, I need a good metaphor for this. I'm going to go to the gym and sit on the rowing machine and work out, but I'm going to ponder this metaphor. And I come back and boom, I'd have a great metaphor. When I learned the magic of how this works in my writing, for me, that was a revelation because I didn't think of myself as a creative person. And I had to that or that it was something that I had some degree of influence over how it worked. And yet I do. That was something that I share with writers of all kinds is to learn this sort of intentional incubation and integrate it into your writing process. And it makes it really fun. It makes it fun. It's easier because you're letting your mind come up with things in subconscious rather than trying to consciously sweat the details. Precisely. You can't carter your way to creative insights. You have to let up and go to a different kind of thinking. You need the combination of that hardworking, I'm sitting on the chair and working and working in that capacity. And when you find that right balance for you, the writing does come much more easily. It just doesn't have to be hard. And my whole thing is I want to make this process as fruitful and productive and fun for people as possible. I remember the first time I brought my first chapters to an editor. We were living in the same town. We were neighbors. And I brought the first chapters of Tech Edge. There's nothing more horrifying than to see someone take a red pen and just start striking out large passages. Like, Wait, that's good. I know. That's where you have to. That's why you want to get the whole draft down before you really start working with it. It's one of the many reasons you want to do that. Because you need to actually change your mindset. Now it's okay. Now that was fun. Now I have to serve the reader. Sometimes that means the stuff that is brilliant. I like to say I'm not, I, I don't cut it. I, I, I put it in a different, I, I copy it into something else. What happened though? was Bill Thompson, who was the editor of the series that I was working on, that left an impression on me where I would it would restrict my writing because I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'd better stop and make sure all the commas are in the right place or Bill's going to hammer me or I've got to make sure that I've got to do this. What it did was it introduced the editor into my writing process. It wasn't until I was able to separate and say, is it writing is a separate process than editing. I can only do one at a time that I became a more prolific writer. That's something that I really love embodied when you wrote Relax Your Standards and Write. It means leave the editor in another room. The editor has a time and a place to come in. But when you're writing, you're writing. Yeah, you're going to shut it down. I use this analogy sometimes. If you had a friend you go out to lunch with all the time and they're like, where 
do you want to go? Let's go for the tiniest place. No, I just had that last week. Let's go pizza. No, it's too fattening. Let's go Mexi. And everything you suggest they shoot down, you're going to stop suggesting, right? You're just going to stop. You're like, forget it. We're not going to lunch. Your creative processes are going to be the same if you're always shooting them down. It's, oh, that's a terrible metaphor. Oh, that's don't even. At some point, there's, your brain's going to say, I forget it. I'm not giving you any ideas. <laughs> that's what relax your standards is. That's also what trust your future self is. Leave time for revision, for you to revise, for you to get a professional editor, whatever it may be. Just trust that it doesn't have to be good yet. It just has to be done. Then I trust that the next step of the process will make it, that we can polish it and make it really work. Your experience is so common, Bill, unfortunately. I think people even inhabit some of that stuff from schooling early on, from being told, oh, you're not a good writer, and they just live with that. That's not how writing works. None of us are good writers in our first draft. None of us are. We Some may be more fluid than others, but come on. <laughs> that's the whole point of relaxing your standard. Don't try to write to a standard that's impossible to succeed in. Precisely. You mentioned lunch and asking a friend to lunch is part of a metaphor you're using just a moment ago. I love Keith Ferrazzi and Tal Raz's book, Never Eat Alone. You have a phrase in your book called Never Launch Alone. I love that it talks about never launch alone because researching the book involves other people. Writing and editing involves other people. We're looking to serve others. We're not doing it alone. You really make it a process that's like a party in some respects. How that resonates with you and the different students and clients who have come to you to help them not only write to get their book out of their heads and into book form, but also launching it so that more people are served by those books. Yes. You and I both know, and everybody listening to this knows, that you could just write a book on your own, publish it, put it on Amazon, and nothing's going to happen. You're we right. see lots of those on Amazon. We see them on Amazon, right? There's a lot of these books with one sale on Amazon. And maybe that's fine. Maybe that's what their objective was. They're, they just wanted to publish a book in their life, and it's fine, or for their family. If you want to write a book that makes a difference to your audience, right, then it's not just about the book. One example that really epitomizes how you can't launch alone, it's not useful to launch alone is the person who you quote at the very beginning, Denise Brasso. She wrote the book, Ready to Be a Thought Leader, and asked herself, how can this work 10 thousand more women thought leaders. Tell me about that story. I just love that story because it involves wine and friendship. She invited... See, that, was, that wasn't in the description in the book, Anne. Oh, the behind-the-scenes stories. Here's the behind-the-scenes, if I remember from my interview with Denise. She had this book and she wanted to really think about as she was working on it, how she wanted to make this difference. She thought this was an audacious huge goal, 10,000 new women thought leaders of all kinds. It's not just for women, but she's really focused on women. She invited a mess of her friends, women authors, friends over. She has this large group of women authors that she has solicited and nurtures, and she's fantastic. All over for, I think she said, I don't know if it was lunch or dinner, but there was wine involved. And big whiteboards, let's, let's get ideas for how we can do this. They all wrote them up on these pieces of paper, and they all shared their ideas and their inspiration. This was years ago. She said, the other day, I cleaning out the closet, I found those pieces of paper. And she's, oh my goodness. And of course, she, it had influenced what she had done. It had influenced everybody in that room who helped share her book. And she did the numbers and she says, well, I've taught this many people on LinkedIn Learning now and I've done this. I've far overshot that 10,000 far overshot 10,000. If you consider all the people trained in LinkedIn Learning, I forget what the number she gave me, but it was like over 100,000. Over 100,000, which she said right now that just boggles her. She thought she'd sent this a crazy audacious goal. I just love that approach. She just had a bunch of people say, here's our goal. How can we do it? She did not launch alone. She did not go alone on her path. And she is always generously supportive of others because she's so committed to this objective of what true, real, honest, goodness thought leadership is. I just think it's such a fantastic story. 
something to really model on as we try to do this. And it's hard when you're working. Like you said, you when you're in the drafting phase, you're very protective of this baby, but it's really not your baby. It belongs to your readers too. You have to start letting people in and doing that. And it can feel hard, but it's what you do. It's what we do to serve others. That's right. Keeping that author leadership perspective in mind really allows you to go through these steps and let go perhaps a bit more easily. For people who are listening to this and who say to themselves, oh, I've got a book, all of the experiences I've been through, I'd love to share that knowledge. I write the book that 20 or 30 years ago, it would have been the book that I would have loved to have picked up in my career. What advice do you have for someone who's in that position today, ready to get started, really doesn't understand that it's a journey. It's not just sit down on a weekend and do it. Yeah, right. It is a journey if you want to do it to make an impact on others. And, and writing the book that you would have served you is a good is, is a good objective. And you can look at your past self as a reasonable audience, assuming that there are more people experiencing the same things today. I would say spend the time really envisioning who's going to use it, how they're going to use it, how they're going to use it. That's actually a part of the writing you should do as part of your book is write about how you want people to use it, what problems they're going to be facing, what are the characteristics of these people. These are important ideas to have written down so you can refer to them consistently and continue to embellish and fill in those pieces, isn't it? Precisely. It's interesting. If you're going to a traditional publisher, you need to write a book proposal, which has a lot of this. Here's the market. You might be pitching it a little differently, how it fits in your catalog and stuff. You write down these things. Who is the market? Who's the reader? Why would they listen to me? What's this book going to look and feel like? I'm an indie author. I write a book proposal for each of my books for myself. I don't have to show it to anybody, but I do have to think through and articulate all of these things before I start. Sometimes you'll be partway down a book and you'll think, oh, wait, wait, here's an audience I hadn't really thought of, or here's an angle I hadn't thought of. And that's okay. You can change it too. We need to do that thinking ahead of time. I would say if if your first thing is to essentially write yourself a little informal book proposal about who are you serving? Why? What's the value? You talked about envision where your book sits on a bookstore shelf. I would say also, here's another fun one. Envision sort of your ideal buyer. They love your book so much they put it on their shelf. What books is it next to? What books are the good companions for your book? I think as authors, we are not really competitive. We are collaborative with each other. And people may need to hear how many books are there on how to write a book. I don't even know. I have a voice that's just different than someone else's voice. And other authors might resonate more with someone or maybe my voice resonates. I'm just serving the people that my approach helpful. That's what I'm doing. Well, and I just want to let you know that I heard your voice. I've listened to it. I've benefited from it. I want to thank you for writing Get the Word Out and thank you again for joining me third time on my quest for the best and appreciate what you've contributed today from helping people understand the importance of who they're writing for of adopting the idea of servant authorship the stories that you told about sarah who needed to be able to understand her audience in order to write more effectively about denise brasso who had a big vision it was through that vision that she gathered people together to help make her book a success and she greatly exceeded the ten thousand person limit that she was looking to create when she wrote her book, looking at a book as a lighthouse so that it becomes a marker of where you were in your particular understanding of your world, your work, your life, of what you wanted to put in that book at that particular point in time. For these reasons and so many more, Anne Janzer, author of Get the Word Out, write a book that makes a difference. I want to thank you for joining me on my quest for the best. Thanks for having me. It was fun. And before we say goodbye for now, where can people find out more about you and your work online? Best place to look is my website, which is just my name, Anne.com. And we're going to link to AnneJanzer.com. We're going to link to your social media, as well as places to buy this book, as well as your others. Check out the show notes and find out more about what's going on in Anzer's world from this episode. Anne Janzer, author of Get the Word Out, write a book that makes a difference. 
I want to thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thanks, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.